0: Welcome to Faith and Culture Now. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I'm joined by Christine Jones. Christine, good to have you here.
1: Thanks, Scott. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, and uh, we've been in uh, several uh, issues now going over the idea of deconstruction or exvangelicalism, and we've talked about what the deconstruction movement is. We've talked about uh, damage control in the deconstruction movement, especially as it relates to parents having to tell their kids hey, yeah, the pastor's saying this kind of stuff from the pulpit, and we don't agree with that as a family. Uh, We've talked about mission work and confusing sharing the gospel with trying to Americanize people in other places. We've also talked about women's roles in ministry and how people frequently um, confuse complementarianism with authoritarianism. And uh, I mentioned in that podcast that there should be no committee at the church that doesn't have a woman who has a seat at the table. Um, The fact of the matter is, um, we need to, as evangelicals, do a much better job of helping women feel valuable, feel seen, feel heard, and and feel respected in our churches. Um, But uh, moving from there, we also talked about LGBTQ plus issues and the purity movement and how uh, damaging teachings in both of those groups, especially elevating homosexuality up to the level of it's sort of the worst sin possible, it's worse than committing murder or being a serial killer or whatever else, uh, has done a lot of damage. And we've also talked about how um, even making people feel like they are no longer valuable or should be seen as being made in the image of God because of uh, sexual uh, missteps that they've taken in their life has been damaging. And so this week, we turn our attention to the issue of inclusivism. And so uh, many progressive Christians and many evangelical Christians argue that Christ accepts us just as we are with no changes needed uh, with regard to how to live. And some go further to claim that Christ also accepts Buddhists or Taoists or Hindus or Muslims or whoever else without any need for them to forsake those beliefs and even turn to Christ. Uh, Exvangelicals evangelicals tend to be angry because they see conservative Christians as cold-hearted, and mean-spirited to those with different beliefs and always quick to condemn them to hell. Um, I think maybe a good way to extrapolate that is to say that um, evangelical Christians sometimes think that they have a um, a monopoly on the truth, uh, so much so that they even become, um, I don't know, I guess the the right word would be, condemnatory or whatever, you know, they condemn other beliefs, but also even other Christians who don't agree with them on non-essential issues. And so uh, with that being sort of the jumping off point, Christine, what are some of your thoughts on this issue?
1: Okay, wow, there's a lot to talk about here. So I do want to talk a bit about this word inclusivism. So I think it's important for us to establish that there's a range of beliefs from total exclusivism, where we say that there is one way and one way only to be saved. Um, This is how that works. Only people who uh accept jesus as their personal savior for example or only through the catholic church for example will you be Mm -hmm. saved so there's these exclusive claims all the way to something that is more like a universal pluralism and i where um all roads basically will lead to god in some way and there's the the middle space of inclusivism um typically would say that uh anyone who believes, who has um, has the sense of their conscience being pricked by something and then comes to faith, regardless of how they do that, well, that pricking of the conscience, it's actually happening through Jesus anyway. And so they become, the the idea is that they become sort of anonymous or accidental Christians. They're Christians and they don't know it. Um, or they're um, And so there is that kind of middle way of inclusivism and I'm thinking of um like Carl Rohner talks about that that the idea that you're going to be kind of an accidental Christian because as long as you come to faith it's actually happening through Jesus so it still holds that the truth claims of Christianity are 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 the highest but that someone who has never heard of Jesus or who is in a situation where they have these sincerely held beliefs that still lead to Um, something that we would recognize as a faithful and fruitful life that um, reveals God's love and all these things. We would say, well, that's happening through Christ. So um, it sounds like the inclusivism that you've described leans a little bit more toward the universal pluralism. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah. And and from what I've seen from the research I've done, a lot of the ex-evangelicals who are promoting inclusivism are promoting a form of universalism.
1: Ah so it's not eg- exactly or if it is that inclusivism they're not saying it mm-hmm. Yeah okay that's good that's good to know So I wanted to establish that there's a range because I think first of all um, the the tone problem that that Christians have where it seems like they're being very, condemnatory and angry and exclusive in a way that is hateful or that is perceived as hateful. I do think that's a real problem. So I don't want to diminish that. And we can talk about that more if Mm -hmm. we want to. But I think what may be the bigger problem for ex-evangelicals is that just about every Christian exists somewhere on this range Mm
0: -hmm. between
1: exclusivity and total pluralism so for example um most i was raised with the idea of an age of accountability mm-hmm. we believe that um, there's a certain age at which a child becomes able to make decisions about christ and then they become accountable for salvation um, and or i was raised hearing that the israelites would all be saved, who were all, all our Israelites who were in the Bible before Jesus, that they would all be saved. So these are some things that I heard. And these are, of course, exceptions to the otherwise exclusive claims that my church was making. And why do I bring that up? Because I think uh, a lot of ex-evangelicals started to see those exceptions, those kind of mm-hmm. gaps in the system and yeah. go, hey, you're not being consistent. Yes. And what they wanted was honesty. Um, A little bit of honesty around maybe not having all the answers. Like the age of accountability is not a thing that's in the Bible, right? So having some honesty, um, real discussions about this um, and some consistency so that it's not just, well, we made up this rule because we don't think that God sends babies to hell. Well, okay, why, why? (laughs) And, and what is the potential range of beliefs here around salvation?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, part of it, too, is, you know, like with with the age of accountability, you know, you don't want to think if God is loving, he's going to send, you know, infants to hell. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and so there's there's sort of I um, oh, I don't know, a, a, a tension between what we think about the nature and character of God and what we see in Scripture uh, with regard to salvation coming through Christ. And, um, I, it makes me think of not just the age of accountability stuff. I actually had to write a blog for this recently, uh, for, um, a, a group that does, uh, does, uh, educational stuff for people in India. And, uh, one of the questions they had was, you know, is the age of accountability scriptural? And so they asked me if I would write on that. And, um, one of the issues I brought up was not just Uh, children, but also you have people with uh, mental handicaps Uh that can never fully grasp or understand certain concepts. And then later in life, you have people that lose their cognitive abilities. Uh And some may have been uh, believers throughout their life. but In the later years of their life, they may forget who Jesus Christ is altogether, you know? And so uh, you got to go, how do we deal with these issues? What, you know, what's, what's the right way to think about this? And I think you're absolutely right about consistency. Uh, people look at us and go, you guys say Jesus is the only way except for this, this, and this, because you like those things. Uh, yes. But then with the mean-spiritedness, you know, sort of dropped on top of that, um, you guys clearly don't like this group over here, so you just want to condemn them to hell. And I think that the, um, the hypocrisy that's shown is that we want to make exceptions for certain things, like the Jews. Uh, but then we want to not make exceptions for certain things like the Muslims, and, you know, it's like, well, what do you do there, and so uh, you can take Karl Rahner's approach. Rahner was a a great Catholic theologian, a very important Catholic theologian in the 20th century, and uh, he says that uh, after people of other faiths die, they will go to heaven because Christ died on the cross for their sins, And they'll say, I didn't know I was a Christian. And God will say, well, you didn't know it, but you were because Christ. Right. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, that's uh, that's one sort of extreme. And then the other extreme is, you know, if you don't have all the exact right beliefs about Jesus and, you know, the Trinity and everything else, you're just not there. And, um, you know, I think my problem with that is nobody fully comprehends the Trinity, uh, but Christians don't tend to reject the Trinity. Uh, And so I've always argued, I mean, not always, but at least the last, you know, 15 years or so, I've argued that when someone is genuinely saved, they don't tend to reject essential Christian beliefs, but they don't always understand those beliefs um, at the point of salvation or even sometimes years into salvation. Um, Absolutely. And, and part of that's because, you know, God reveals himself to us through his word But he doesn't reveal everything about himself. He's only revealed some of himself to us. Mm -hmm. And we can't fully comprehend God. And as such, we can't fully comprehend some of these issues surrounding his nature and character. But one thing we do know is that scripture is very clear that God is holy and that God is loving. And in several places in scripture, it says that God desires for all people to be saved. And it doesn't say that everyone's going to be saved. But it does say he desires for all people mm-hmm. to be saved. And um, I think the, I guess, if you will, the way that people in the culture sometimes look at conservative Christians is that they wish that very few people would be saved. Uh, it's this idea mm. that um, you know, they, they spend all their time wanting to condemn and critique and uh, just trash everything we do and everything everybody else does. And they believe they're the only arbiters of truth to the point that it justifies them being mean-spirited to anyone who thinks differently than they do. And I think therein lies, I think the the heart of of this particular issue.
1: Yeah. And as I was thinking through this issue, I thought about a common uh, experience that many evangelicals who grew up in my generation had. And that was the experience of the evangelical church's Halloween hell house. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who never experienced this, it was basically set up as a haunted house. (coughs) Excuse me. But instead of normal hauntings, you would kind of see different scenarios of people in really terrible, sinful situations and then their lives would be going horribly or maybe you'd see like someone who's dealing with drug addiction and then you'd see like a demon lurking in the shadows coming to take them and then they go to hell it's this horrible thing um and then at the end there would be a gospel presentation and there would jesus be and i only went to a couple of these but what i remember most is getting to the end of it and the volunteers who were there at the end of the hell house were there to convert people. They were there to try to get people to accept Jesus. And so they would kind of corner you and say, if you knew that you were dying right now, would you know that you would be going to heaven? And they'd kind of pressure pressure us for a response. Now, mm-hmm. I I was a believer. So I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I know Jesus. And they would keep pressuring me. Um, and the reason I bring this up now is that it strikes me that there are a couple of things that might turn someone away from exclusive uh, Christian claims through that experience. Mm -hmm. One is that it's a trick. They set up this thing that's supposed to be a fun Halloween experience, supposed to be a nice, fun community outreach, and you get there and then they turn it around and, and want to Turn it into a, a time to convert you to their religion, which just seems like a mean trick to play on someone.
0: Yeah, no treat, um, just
1: tricks. Right, no treat, just tricks. Yeah. And then the second thing is that it's basing this uh, salvation solely around fear. I mean, yeah. It is really based on your fear response. I'm sitting there terrified that I'm going to wind up in hell or wind up in a hellish situation as depicted in the hell house and so well gosh of course I'm gonna try to trust Jesus but um that picture of salvation that's just built around fear and escaping judgment man that's not really the full picture of salvation it's not very attractive
0: it's not even close to the full picture in fact you know um (laughs) recently they asked our church for our Sunday school class to pick out some tracks to use to, you know, give people in our class. And so I looked at about 40 different tracks and finally found one that I really liked. And the main reason I liked it because it didn't say, um, where are you going to go when you die? Mm-hmm. And it didn't make you feel like you needed this for fire insurance, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so in fact, it was all about having uh, a relationship with God here and now and walking through life in fellowship with him. And that's why I picked that track is the purpose of salvation isn't for avoiding hell. It's for having a relationship with God. That's right. Um, I went to one hell house years ago and I walked away from it thinking I'm never going to promote or go to one of these or encourage others to go to these ever again. Uh And, you know, I mean, obviously you needed to get saved again after you had been through one, (laughs) but uh, I think that one of the other big issues with these is that they make it out like if you are not a Christian, you're going to be making all of these bad choices and they're all going to impact your life negatively so much so that you would think that if you're not a Christian, you're incapable of having any kind of moral compass.
1: That's right. That's right. So this is why we we really have to think about the range between total exclusivity and total plur- pluralism, right? That we we do need to cultivate a way to relate to people of other faiths, to relate to people of other beliefs, um, to have a kind of principled pluralism in which we hold firmly to our own beliefs, but listen to and learn from others because otherwise it, it, it's just not a good look it is it is that implication that other people can have zero access to morality other people can mm-hmm. have zero access to goodness or truth or beauty and that's not a great starting point for making connections and loving others
0: it's absolutely not and uh i i think that when you you start thinking everybody else is doing it wrong Then you start thinking we're superior to everyone, not just not just about salvation, but we're superior to everyone else in just life in general. And um, and then what happens is, of course, uh, you find that people in your church still struggle with sin. And I think this leads to the other part of the hypocrisy of this situation is because then you're going, wait a minute. You know, um, there's a guy in our church who's been in our church for 20 years and you know, it turns out he swindled the IRS out of some money and had to go to jail for six months. And uh-huh. you go, you know, well, if, if we have the truth, you know, why did that happen? You know, I mean, clearly we still have consequences for our decisions now, but we come across as we're better than you listen to us. And what we really should be saying is we're all sinners. We are all in need of God's grace. Uh-huh. We are all in need of God's mercy. And, um, you know, we're in this, we're in this life together, we're in this boat together. And whenever we preach mm-hmm. about a sinful issue, know that that's to us and to you, not just to you from us, because we're better than you.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I, this idea that we're all in this boat together, we're all sinners and we're all in this together. Um, because it reminds me of another point I wanted to bring up, and it was in regards to this um maybe the sort of lighter version of inclusivism that you brought up at the start which is that we don't really have to change at all for god Mm -hmm. to accept us or that um we can kind of live exactly the way we want to um so i I think that that speaks to this idea of god's not going to condemn sin or any lifestyle and Mm -hmm. um what I think one particular one potential correction for that I think we could see in the church is that instead of starting the story of the world and salvation with sin as many of us have many of us start the story by saying all have sinned and Mm -hmm. fallen short of the glory of God I think it would be more helpful to start the story at creation where we see that God made man and woman in his own image And he called them good and he called all that he had made good. That the thing that unites us, if we want to talk about like, are are we united to our, our fellow human beings? Yeah, we are all created in God's image, in that original image of goodness and value. And gosh, that's so important when we start with the sin, it's like you're, you're, you're cutting people off before you even have a chance to recognize uh, their potential for, for goodness. Mm-hmm. And when we start with creation, we can see how much we have in common right away and we can yeah. maybe build that common ground together. And um, th- on that basis, I mean, we, we really, it's not just that all are welcome in spite of your sin. No, all are welcome period. And then mm-hmm the Holy Spirit's going to maybe do the work of showing you uh, what things in your life need to change.
0: Yeah. And I think that gets back to even the ideas we talked about with say the purity culture movement and stuff like that. You know, if you're starting with the sin, you're basing someone's value on their actions as opposed to on their created order of being. That's right. And so um, with inclusivism, I I think you sort of can, can jump to the same kind of conclusions, you know, you guys have uh, chosen a God. that's not the God that we worship. Therefore you're worshiping a false God and it's wrong. And you're going to go to hell. Well, hold on, you know, um, let's back up a little bit and, uh, recognize that everybody's created with a desire to worship God because God put that desire in the fabric of humanity. Absolutely. And, um, with regard to inclusivism, I think you're absolutely right on, you know, we have to make some clear distinctions, right? Uh, not just exceptions to the rule when it's convenient or when we like it, but, you know, what you know what's really the way to best understand this? Uh, and, you know, there's, there's one direction where you can say, you know, you've got to have all these right beliefs about Jesus and about the Trinity and everything else, or you're going to hell. And by the way, everybody deserves hell. Or you can look at it like, um, you know, Raner and say, Christ died for everyone, whether they know it or not, because mm-hmm. he loves us that much. Or you could find somewhere in the middle ground that probably will mesh with scripture better than either of those two extremes. Um, you know, scripture doesn't say you've got to become a uh, well-renowned theologian to get saved. <laughs> you know, it says, believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved. That's, that's what it yeah. says, you know. Um, and, um, with, with sort of finding like a a more middle ground area, I think it prevents you from wanting to just throw everybody into heaven, but also prevents you from wanting to throw everybody into hell. And as Christians, it's not our job to determine the eternal resting place of anyone. It's our job to present the God, you know, the gospel to present God's kingdom and to share the goodness that comes with living under God's kingdom with the world around us. And that comes from a desire to help others, not a desire to condemn others.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I just, by the way, I would actually put Karl Rahner in the middle, not on an extreme. I think the other extreme is complete oh. uh, pluralistic universalism. If I if I were sure. making that range.
0: That makes um,
1: sense, Yeah. Be- because yeah, because runner is still saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That all, all that mm-hmm. we're we're coming to salvation through Jesus. So
0: yeah, I was writing off the pluralistic thing off the spectrum altogether. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess I see that as sort of out of, out of the bounds of normal Christianity. But- oh
1: yeah. It is, yeah. but it's not out of the bounds for, ev- for ex-evangelicals. So, I mean, I guess that's it's, true. so yeah. it's important to acknowledge it. Yeah. Very um, good. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Oh, so I, I feel like we are left with this question then, which is how should Christians relate to people of other faiths and, um, and people who have no faith, how should we relate to them?
0: I think that's a really good question. And um, the, the, uh, second season of this podcast is all interviews with me with leaders of other faiths. Uh, That's the exciting. Reason, yeah. The reason I chose um, leaders, by the way, is because they tend to know their beliefs better than a lot of lay people do. And So uh, it's just, you know, for, for just academic rigor and other things, it's good for me to talk to people that are considered experts in the field, right? And yeah. um So I have a number of conversations uh, with people from, uh, there's a a Sikh pastor. uh, There's a Islamic uh, Imam or a Muslim Imam, right? Uh, There is a Hindu yogini, which is a spiritual yoga instructor. Um, By the way, while I was having the interview with the spiritual yoga instructor, I got to watch one of the other priests in the temple actually sacrifice food to an idol, which was very interesting for me. Um, and then I had a couple of Jewish rabbis that were um, on as well, and um, all these different people had really wonderful conversations with me, and uh, I learned a lot from each of them, uh, but I, and so I'd encourage you to go back and, you know, if you're listening to this, if you haven't listened to the season two episodes, I'd encourage you to go back and check some of those out,
1: yeah. um,
0: but I think there's a couple of things that we as Christians should really do to help. Um, bridge the gap and build relationships with those in other faiths. And one of those things is that we have to recognize initially that people of other faiths are people created in God's image Mm -hmm. and they're valuable and they are, um, they are worth investing in um, just for who they are, you know, not for ulterior motives, just for who they are. And the second thing is, uh, we have to recognize that people's beliefs are typically sincere and just yeah. like if you're a Christian and you think that Christianity is true, someone who's a Hindu is going to think that Hinduism is true. They're not holding on to Hinduism because they're trying to deceive everyone else. They're holding on to it because they <laughs> think that there's something to the truth claims that it makes. Right. And so, um, I think it's important to be respectful of other people's religions when you talk about them, uh, and not just um, you know throw them under the bus per se. Uh, it's also important to recognize in the sincerity of others that, um, if you ask them questions about their faith, it's not just so that you can argue them into Christianity. Um, you know, if, if in fact your beliefs show to be true as a Christian, um, then someone of another faith that gets to know you should recognize the truthfulness of what you're claiming. And, um, I think that should, uh, should stand in, in some regards as a witness to them of your your beliefs, right? But if all right. you're trying to do is argue someone out of their religion into your religion, um, it, it tends to not be very fruitful because you're just combative. And in, in a lot of cases, people that do that are just downright rude. And so, um, so I think we, we see people as valuable. Uh, we invest in them for who they are we recognize their sincerity and their understanding of the world. And then we also find things that we can relate to commonly. Most moral ethical beliefs of religions are pretty consistent from one mm. to the next. And there's a lot of things we can do together in our communities. I That's think right. that, um, you know, um, for example, um, you know, drug addiction is a big problem in our communities. But whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian, you don't want teenagers getting addicted to drugs in your community. Why can't you guys work together to do some good for the community to help with some after school programs or other things that help uh, with keeping kids away from that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah. So so there's a lot that can be done together. And then the other thing is, is um, you just you, you just be, be friendly to the people, right? Right. Like If you're having a barbecue, uh, and you're inviting the neighbors, but one neighbor is uh, a different religion, um, invite them anyway and figure out what dietary restrictions their religion has so that they have food they can eat when they come over. Um,
1: you know, that's great.
0: You know, be, be mindful of their beliefs. Um, the Bible says in Leviticus that, um, it's wrong to consume the blood of an animal. Um, And the reason that it says that is because the life is in the blood. Uh, So today, you know, there's no real rules in Christianity about consuming steak that's cooked rare or whatever else, right? That may have some blood in it. But um, if you're going to have a meal with a Jewish friend, many of them still very stringently hold to that verse. And so it would be unwise to invite them to dinner where you're going to be cooking steaks that are going to be rare. Um, they're also right. you know Jewish practices, kosher, right? So among other right. things, you don't mix meat and milk. And so there are certain kinds of dishes that you would not want to prepare if you're going to have them over. But it's it's good to, to look at what other people's restrictions are and be mindful of that so that they can see that you're trying to be respectful of who they are uh, as you build a relationship with them. But it's okay to Uh, you know, go to the movies or go to dinner or uh, go to a sports game or whatever else with people of another faith. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And um, I think Christians, more than other groups, tend to be labeled as the ones that don't want to associate with others.
1: Right. You know, I'm thinking back to that Hell House experience and how fear was really the basis of the of the gospel message, and I think that sometimes Christians carry that fear into their interactions with the world. Um, if we we can be afraid to associate with people who think differently from us or um, who have different beliefs, uh, I, I've had I've encountered this sometimes with my own students as we talk about a variety of issues that may be different from their beliefs. Sometimes they don't even want to listen to the other side because they're mm-hmm. they're afraid of that. And um, I I recently came across a study that was, uh, it was a a program for Christian college students and who, who came from Christian universities and it was an interfaith program. And I think almost without exception, the Christians walked away from that going, hey, now I feel stronger in my faith. And all I did was have friendships and conversations, open conversations, real listening to people of other faiths. So I I don't think that we have anything to fear in just being friends with and listening to people who are different from us.
0: Yeah, very much so. And, um, I think that it's important to look at things that you don't believe because it, it does tend to it either strengthen your belief or corrects it uh-huh. <laughs> depending on what's uh-huh. needed. But yep. um, you know, it's, it's good to know what others believe as well. And, and here's the thing. Um, you, can, you can have conversations with someone who believes something else and not agree with everything they say. And they cannot agree with everything you say. And you can still be civil. You can yep. still be friends. I was joking with Erin after our last podcast. uh, She was talking about some division in our country. And I said, we need to have a coexist sticker, but instead of having religious symbols on it, it needs to be all the different political animals, you know, turned into (laughs) the letters. That's um, good. I
1: think you should uh, make that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) But uh, the idea is that um, we should be able to have civil discourse with people we don't agree with. And just because you don't agree with someone doesn't make them a bad person or doesn't make them unlikable or unfriendable. Um, You should be able to disagree and still respect one another for your beliefs because you wouldn't hold them if you didn't think they were true. And you think certain things are true. They think certain things are true. And you're not always going to see eye to eye. And that's okay. Um, I think I also want to bring up maybe one more issue I think that's Im- important here with inclusivism, and that is uh-huh. the idea of hell. Uh, uh-huh. I think a lot of evangelicals really don't like the idea of hell. Uh, I don't know if they've been influenced by Rob Bell or if. And by the way, um, while I don't always agree with everything Rob Bell says, I don't I don't throw him out. I mean, um, uh-huh. he has done some really great contributions and. Uh, in fact, we've even quoted him positively on some podcasts here recently. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, but, but Rob Bell is one who changed his belief from, um, uh, your traditional view of heaven and hell to, um, I think more of a, um, uh, exclusively heaven type view, uh, uh-huh. I, but, but I mean, there's a there are actually a wide range of views that Christians hold on you know the issue of heaven and hell. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, one is annihilationism. It's the belief that those who reject Christ and do not want to be with Him for eternity will just be ceasing to exist. They'll be annihilated, not like torturously annihilated, but just they will just no longer exist. And um, uh, so, so there are a, a number of issues there. But I think a lot of evangelicals. Um, not only do they not like the idea of, um, people, you know, not making it to heaven, but I think it's that they, they look at this idea of hell and fear and they associate that so much with the evangelical culture that Mm -hmm. they, they feel like we emphasize hell and fire insurance more than we emphasize walking in freedom with Christ.
1: Yeah. That was certainly my experience. And I'll tell you the thing that I think would have helped me a lot was, which was just hearing the range of beliefs. Like you say, there's a range of beliefs within Christianity. Well, most of the churches I've been part of only teach one narrow view of hell. Um, you know, we, I think that Christians have to get more comfortable with mystery in a lot mm-hmm. of areas. And if you can do that, it's going to be a place of more integrity. It's okay to say, I don't know. There's actually more integrity there. Or I don't know, but here is the best we can come up with. Here are a few different ideas, you know, and we're going to do our best to follow God here. Um, So what gets to be so oppressive for many people is this, uh, these very stringent exclusive claims
0: Everything's black and white it's dogmatic Mm -hmm. even if there's only Mm -hmm. two verses in the bible about the issue altogether
1: right that's right (laughs) so yep
0: yeah well so so, you know in these um in these discussions with with deconstruction we also are trying to talk about the idea of reconstruction Mm, that's good Uh, and so i think that with regard to inclusivism um you know, Christians should desire that all people be saved, while conservative Christians hold to Jesus's teachings about, you know, maybe being the only way to salvation, or, um, you, know, um, what, you know, again, there's a spectrum on that, like you mentioned with ronner and others, right, uh-huh. but um, uh, Christians don't hold to this idea that, typically Christians don't hold this idea that, um, you know, every religion is all about sincerity and they all lead to the same end uh, right. and they're all equally true. I mean, even religions, you know, don't claim that they're all equally true. You know, other religions right. they all say, Hey, we're equal. Um, but they do recognize that people in many religions recognize that people are justified in being able to choose what religion they want to follow, which one they think personally is true. Um, so all that being said, um, uh, even believing that Jesus is in the only way, it never justifies poor behavior or mean-spirited attitudes towards non-Christians or those who follow other religions. And so my proposed reconstruction for inclusivism is that conservative Christians must embrace the practice of religious liberty. Um, we are free to practice our beliefs. We must, be allow, uh, we must allow others to be free to practice their beliefs as well. That's not the same as suggesting that all beliefs are equally true but instead is recognizing that different people can practice beliefs that they think are true. Um, conservative Christians should also be able to teach um, when um, uh, you know, be able to teach about when one uh, comes to faith in Christ, that Christ changes the person and empowers them to be more like Christ. So mm-hmm. I don't think we throw out this idea of, you know, change and say, there's just no change needed, but I think we also have to recognize that um. Even when the change, the process of sanctification begins to work out in your life, it's a long process. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 10 years or 25 years or 50 (laughs) years, you still have change that you need to go through. That's right. You're you're acting like I've changed. Everyone else has stuff they need to work on. Well, then you you probably need (laughs) to take another look in the mirror and and figure some more things out. Yeah.
1: And so. it's not a straight line. Sometimes we go back and forth on some of those same things that we
0: need to change. So. That's right. You yep. know, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I know I can be kind of stubborn and, and hard on some issues, but um, yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, you know, we're either moving closer to the Lord in our walk with Him, or we're moving further away from him in our walk. Uh, but very rarely do people just stay flatlined, you know, um, it, it's typically one direction or the other. So, um, as we think about the idea of inclusivism, my sort of summary here is that uh, as Christians, as conservative Christians, we've got to embrace religious liberty. We've got to let others practice what they believe. We also should be thankful that we have the freedoms here to practice what we believe. And when it comes to the idea of salvation, There's nothing wrong with teaching what we believe scripture teaches that Christ is the way to salvation, and we should embrace that because it's a distinctive of the Christian faith. However, um, we should desire for the salvation of all, and we shouldn't use the belief that Christ is the only way to salvation to make ourselves arbiters of truth for society and to force our religious beliefs on others or force our moral beliefs on others. Um, We have to allow for different perspectives on that in our culture, because not everyone has the same exact values we have, even though most religions have very similar moral leanings. And so um, as we look at reconstructing this idea of inclusivism, I think that it just it boils down to the issue of love once again. Christians haven't done a great job of being loving. We haven't done a great job of being loving with politics. We haven't done a great job of being (laughs) loving with the purity culture. We haven't done a great job of being loving with LGBTQ plus stuff. And what we really need to do is foundationally to everything else, we need to practice loving others the way that God loved us. And God loved us, it says in scripture, while we were still sinners. That's exactly right. He loved us where we were, Uh period, right? And um, going back to this idea of creation uh, that you mentioned, Christine, um, you know, God created all things good and Uh um, uh, God created uh, the world. And then there was the fall and in the fall, things got broken. uh, But through redemption, we are working to make things more like they were in creation,
1: which means...
0: Uh, as Christians, we should be about fixing the world, not simply condemning the world.
1: Yep. A a restorative vision of God's work, not just a retributive vision of God. It's not just about punishing sin, it's about restoration, right?
0: Exactly. So so before you delight in um, condemning anyone who has different beliefs than you, uh, think more about how you can build a bridge to the gospel with that person how you can develop a relationship with them mm-hmm. and how you can retrain your mind to see them as a valued person regardless of whether they agree with you or share your same beliefs or not so uh, for those Sounds of you guys great. listening thanks again for uh, taking the time to listen to the podcast we'll see you again next time on the faith and culture now podcast